we know that the photoradar trucks do cause a decrease in speeds. Send all your complaints to troy at tpavlik.me for why I'm wrong about the cash cow. This week, Council's thinking about the need to mack a cut. Oh, whoa, oh, hurt. We're so far in debt. Whatever shall we do? Wait, no, I had Excel's rounding settings off. We're fine. The city auditor says our culture is changing, and Council hires an integrity commissioner to make sure they obey the code of conduct. Plus, Calgary is beating us in Vision Zero without even trying. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally. We're here in episode five, a new month. We're turning over new leaves. We're going forever. And we've got quite the good show for you guys today. So let's not even hesitate and jump in right to our regular segment, Rapid Fire Events from last week. And let the words ring loud like trumpets. I mow high. I mow often. I leave my clippings on the lawn. That's Don Iveson in 2015. Tuesday, the plans to separate grass clippings from garbage got the go-ahead. A voluntary separation program, that is. Admin gave multiple reasons like buildup of gas in the landfill, but it's clear that with legalization just around the corner, they're looking at the best way to get their hands on as much pure grass as possible for resale. The Knox Metropolitan Church has been demolished, and the new zoning for the land passed third reading this week. It'll allow for a 33-meter, nine-story building at the corner of 109th Street and 83rd Avenue. Granted, Plan White suggests we only have six-story or 21-meter buildings near 109th Street, but this plot of land is 50 meters out of the study area, so na-na-na-na-boo-boo. The downtown office vacancy rate dropped to 12.5% from 15% in 2017. While it's not as low as the 9% seen in 2015 before the recession, things are improving. Most of the credit goes to increasing numbers of technology companies downtown. I guess Bioware's move to Epcor Tower in the spring is having a mass effect. (laughs) New this week, we are proud to announce that Speaking Municipally is the newest member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB Financial. This is a collection of podcasts from all across Alberta on a wide range of topics, and we're one of the political podcasts that is now part of the network. We're a political podcast? Imagine that. The Alberta Podcast Network is a great collection of podcasts from around Alberta, like you said. One of the favorites that both you and I listen to is That's a Thing by Karen Unland and her daughter. For those of you who don't know, first of all, Karen is a co-founder of Taproot Edmonton. She's the person behind the podcast network. So she's getting a lot of love in this episode, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, she's paying us to show. Yeah. Um, That's a Thing is a really interesting concept where... Karen and her daughter explore something that Karen as the older person on the podcast doesn't understand and Elizabeth as the younger person on the podcast knows all about. So the idea is to bridge that generational gap on topics like Fortnite, for instance. Um, The most recent episode was all about memes. I listened to that episode in the same way that you'd graduate with an undergraduate degree and then go do a first year course just to show how smart you are. It's the same thing. I'm listening to the explanations of memes and grading the explainers as they listen to you're not so much maybe it's because i have a kid now but i totally was on karen's side of the table i'm like i don't know what they're talking about uh i have not heard of half of these memes i like to think i know what a meme is and that i could look it up online if somebody raised one but it was a lot of new stuff to me to learn more about the alberta podcast network go to albertapodcastnetwork.com and you can listen to that's a thing and all the other podcasts that are part of the network but 
If you don't want to learn about memes and instead you want to learn about city council, this is the podcast to listen to. Mac, what happened this week? One of the biggest items at council this week was the mid-year budget update. So this is as of the end of June 30th. Where are we at financially on both the operating budget and the capital budget? And what do the projections look like for the end of the year? The highlight at the operating budget this week was that midway through the year, we are in a $5.5 million surplus. So this was mainly due to cost savings related to snow and ice control and things like that. Um, But the projections show that by the end of the year, we'll be in deficit to the tune of about $14.4 million. And that is mostly because we don't know how much gas is going to cost. Everyone knows gas went up this year by quite a lot. People were complaining about it. You had certain councillors like Mike Nickel this week saying, this increase, it's breaking the back of Edmontonians. When... Iveson suggested we'll pay down this $14 million via the rainy day fund, which is the point of the rainy day fund. There was a hard no. And this gets back to, we talked about a few episodes ago, Prosperity Edmonton. They were talking about zero tax increases this year. We want to hold the line. There's no counter narrative running contrary to Prosperity Edmonton. There's no one saying, yeah, taxes are important. Even in response to Prosperity Edmonton, the mayor basically just said, we'll hold it to inflation. But yeah, you're right. Nobody's out there saying, well, wait a minute, we care about these things in our city. There's some important initiatives that we've maybe started or that we'd like to start. How are we going to pay for those things? Um, And to say that we've broken the back on a two to two and a half billion dollar budget with a $14 million deficit is a little bit of a stretch. Could it even be political theater right before budget time? Possibly. I mean, I agree from the point of view that Mike Nichol is supposed to be a bit of a fiscal hawk on council. And I think council should be looking for opportunities to save costs and to um, improve the efficiency of our city operations. That was the whole point of Iveson's 2% initiative, right, in the past. Um, But you got to be real about the amounts here. And that's a rounding error on the overall budget. The number is $14 million. And that's related to another sort of similar number that came up this week, which is the Walterdale Bridge. It came to a head. We've been finding contractors $17,000 a day for each day that the Walterdale Bridge hasn't opened. Uh, It was supposed to open back in 2015. And last I checked, that was three years ago. So they've been racking up quite a hefty I fine. did the math. It checks out. The Walterdale Bridge is looking to cost maybe about $13 million for the contractor and late fees and penalties. But you had someone council saying maybe we shouldn't levy that full fine. So the discussion here is that if we're going to start fining contractors, does that set a bad precedent for future projects? And do we create this environment in which the contractors and subcontractors are really just pointing fingers at one another and arguing about who's responsible for the cost overruns as opposed to what the developers are arguing, looking at the overall value that we're getting from the project. And I can understand that point of view, but three years is a long time. It's not like we missed the construction target by a few months. We're talking three years where we've had to have, you know, traffic diverted and all of these other costs, real costs that come to our city as a result of the delays there. Well, even it's a storied history of bridges in Edmonton. You had the 102 Ave bridge where businesses they had to close up shop because there were delays on this bridge. And we didn't have such a strong mechanism to hold contractors accountable. I don't think the sort of other side of this issue where we should be giving these contractors a break because Kumbaya collaboration. At some point, we need to find these contractors and show that Edmonton is a great place to do business. But when you do business here, don't deliver it three years late. 
And this is what council is using as their political tool, right? They're getting a lot of flack for that bridge, for the Walterdale Bridge, for for the businesses that had to close, for the inconvenience that it causes people. And the thing that they can fall back on is to say, well, we're fining the contractor. Maybe that's not good enough. Maybe there should be some other action that council can take to help ensure that projects are closer to being on schedule. Um, But at least it's a tool that they have. And if we don't use it, then what are we going to use? If we don't use it, we'll break the taxpayers back because $13 million is that amount. There you go. Do you have anything else to say about budget? I'm getting a sort of no look. Now, this is interesting, and that's what I want to say about budget. If you look at the news headlines this week, it's all about budget and the massive deficits and overruns. Nobody cares, guys. You're getting played by the media. This is not a big story. This is not an interesting story. And this is not a valuable story. Gas went up and we got to pay for gas. That's the budget. I think this is a primer for the budget discussions to come, right? This is an update on the previous budget, the 2015 to 2018 budget. Uh, Starting in November, discussions start for the new four-year budget. And that's where things will get really interesting because it does become a conversation not only about how much do things cost and what's the increase going to look like, but what do we care about as a city? What do we want to invest in? What do we want to fund? And if you looked at last budget time, everyone everyone comes forward with an ask for more money. The notable exception being the EEDC. Last time they asked for a budget decrease and got a lot of kudos from council. But we're seeing this political theater and this posturing pre-budget because at some point there's going to be cuts on the table and each councillor wants to be well positioned to force for the cuts they want. But let's move on to a bit of a cultural issue at City Hall. Um, Maybe resolved. The city auditor told council this week at audit committee that there's always going to be missteps and things that go awry. But one thing that has changed is corporate leadership is trying to deal with issues as they happen. So this is really interesting because the auditor, the one of the two employees of council, is basically saying that the other employee is now doing a fantastic job, even though we've seen fantastic might be a bit of a stretch, a bit of a stretch. The, The other employee is doing a better job than they were in terms of looking at the cultural change that needs to happen. The other employee may be doing a terrible job, but when they're doing a bad job, they will tell daddy about it. That's what the auditor said. Okay, you're getting to the heart of it here. Uh, I don't buy the argument that the culture changes happen. This is not something that changes in a six-month period or a two-year period. This is something that takes a while to change. So we talked about this previously. They renewed the contract for Linda Cochran, the city manager. That's a vote of confidence from council in their main employee. Um, This is, I suppose, another little positive thing for her to put a feather in her cap. Uh, But I think there's a lot of work to do here. It's sort of unquestionable that there's a lot of work to do. Council went on break and we saw a whole host of issues. So when the parents leave, well, maybe they'll tell the parents later about all the screw ups they made. But The house is still burning down and the fire department's still getting called. The auditor said that he expects fewer of these investigations and audit reports in the future. So I suppose he's set up the metric for us to track. We'll keep an eye on this over the next several years. Another thing related to culture, council approved this week, an integrity commissioner. What is an integrity commissioner? An integrity commissioner in this case is a lawyer they've got on retainer specifically for council. So previously, if you had a problem with your counselor you had a single method of holding them accountable, and that's an election. Happens every four years, and the incumbents don't lose. So 
residents really didn't have a way of keeping councillors accountable if they were disobeying the council code of conduct. Now we've got an integrity commissioner. So council has approved this new council code of conduct. It's all the reasonable things. Councillors shouldn't have conflicts of interest. They should treat their constituents with respect. They should hold the board of councillors in esteem, those sorts of things. And if a resident believes that one of these code of conduct terms have been violated, they can file a report with the integrity commissioner who will then investigate and then give a report on it. Hopefully this keeps some of our councillors accountable. There is another half of this, which is the ethics advisor for council. To have an integrity commissioner, that's good for keeping councillors accountable. But what if a councillor says, hey, I'm not sure about this. I'm seeing something coming up and I don't know if I'm on shaky ground. I don't know if I need to recuse myself from a vote or something like that. They can go to the ethics advisor and they can say, look, I have this problem. Give me some advice and make sure I can stay on the right side of ethics. Both of these are really good changes. There's a budgetary cost to it, about $180,000 for both of their offices. Both of these employees, they're not going to be full-time. They're going to be held on retainer and then paid an hourly rate uh, when they have to do work. Sounds like a reasonable spend. Everybody needs trusted advisors. We're paying how many millions of dollars for counselors and mayors and staff and offices? A little bit of insurance to make sure that system is working as expected. That's the definition of a justifiable expense. Down south, though, there was another issue that came up in Calgary's city council. Now, before you close iTunes, this podcast is not about Calgary city council. We're going to pivot to Edmonton. But give us some of the context of what happened in Calgary this week. News came out that there is a proposal on the table uh, that we'll go to city council in Calgary on September 10th uh, about speed limits. And the idea here is to dramatically reduce the speed the default speed for speed for roads in Calgary. So from 50 kilometers an hour as the default speed limit to 30 kilometers per hour. If such a reduction was considered dramatic, perhaps, uh, or a reasonable reduction to a safe speed, one might also editorialize on this issue. I was quoting the uh, news article that used the word drastically. Calgary is not a vision zero city. So back in 2015, Edmonton adopted vision zero as a traffic safety policy. It's a Swedish traffic safety ideal where zero loss of life and traffic is acceptable. And we prevent the loss of life and traffic by designing systems such that when humans make mistakes, those mistakes are non-fatal. So Edmonton adopted this philosophy back in 2015. Calgary has not adopted this philosophy ever. If we look back on the history of vision zero implementations, some of the great steps forward Edmonton has make is our bike grid, which was inspired by Calgary after they did it first. Uh, there's uh, playground zones and school zones, which was inspired by Calgary after they did it first. Residential speed reductions, which we came to first and decided, now nah, we're going to do that next year. And meanwhile, Calgary's coming in and saying, we're going to do this now. They could. If council approves it on September 10th, they would beat us yet again. And the context for that decision when it came to Edmonton City Council, Iveson was pretty adamant that he couldn't vote on it now because he didn't believe he had the support on council. He thought, if we put this to a vote, the vote's going to lose. And in his opinion, that doesn't help us get anywhere, which the merits of the argument, yeah, that's probably correct. Calgary, this motion, it's a notice of motion that will be debated on September 10th, but it's co-sponsored by six councillors in Nenshi. So Calgary City Council, it's 14, an even number, bad idea, but, you know, they can't all be Edmonton City Council. They've got half the votes already there 
when the motion is just pending. All they need to do is to get one from the other side and this passes. So they're in a very good position and we might see in Calgary the default speed limit 30 kilometers an hour. This is a little bit of an example of what I was talking about a few episodes ago with the two steps forward, one step back. So when Calgary passed a new pedestrian strategy in 2016, um, council at the time said, we don't want to look into reducing residential speed limits. So that was kind of a dead thing at the time. Now this motion has come forward again a couple of years later. And as you say, there's all this support. So it kind of, to me, shows that there is the possibility that we could turn things around here in Edmonton as well. One of the other sort of benefits that often isn't talked about is back in 2016, the talk of reducing a residential speed limit to 30 kilometers an hour is a huge ask because you had to put signs up on every block. Right. We're talking $50 million citywide. So talk about breaking the back of taxpayers. The city charter, which is a regulation that the government of Alberta has passed this past summer, it enables cities to do certain things. So Edmonton and Calgary, one of the powers it enfranchises them with is the Traffic Safety Act. They can amend the default speed limit within their city limits. So things like they could put up a sign at the front of a neighborhood that says, this neighborhood, 30 kilometers an hour, and then they don't have to sign each and every individual block, which was the huge blocker in the past. That's not an issue anymore. Uh, we'll see if Calgary takes advantage of it, and I guess their implementation will be Again, a guiding implementation for Edmonton. You can tell I'm treating this like a foregone conclusion. I'm just going to knock on some wood. To be clear, right, the reason that is in the city charter is not because the province thought, oh, this would be a fantastic idea, let's put it in there, but because Calgary and Edmonton pushed to have that as one of the powers that be granted to them to make this possible. The Edmonton Vision Zero Twitter actually this week, did some outreach related to Vision Zero. And I thought this was very interesting. I couldn't get the stats for the Tuesday, the first day of school. But Wednesday, the second day of school, there were 337 speed violations issued near schools. And that's within playground hours. So it's daylight hours. It's not at midnight, which is a lot, I would say, probably. One of the more shocking ones is there was also a speed violation issued for doing 100 kmh in a 30 km an hour zone during the day on the second day of school. Really? Really. This That's was, incredible. This is why Vision Zero matters. And this is why Vision Zero is more than just signs. comes down to infrastructure. If there was a speed bump in front of that school, that car would be totaled. You can't go 100 kilometers an hour over a speed bump. And these are some of the infrastructure decisions that Calgary has been making, that other municipalities have been making, that Edmonton really needs to think critically about. We have had this perspective of we're going to educate and enforce. And that's been our road safety strategy. We'll put up a sign, we'll tell people what it means, and then we'll ticket them when they don't follow the sign. Put that photo radar truck or that speedboard there. Right. We're at a point where we've had massive reductions in speeds across the board from these digital speedboards. They do work. And we know, <laughs> we know that the photo radar trucks do cause a decrease in speeds. Send all your complaints to Troy at tpavlik.me for why I'm wrong about the cash cow. So we know that some of these systems work, but we know that it's not getting us all the way. It's a start, but we're seeing diminishing returns from these implementations. If we want to see real change, we need to make the broad sweeping change, which means infrastructure, and it means broad cultural changes. So that's not just the playground zones, the 30 kilometer hour, two blocks. It's when you're in a place where people live and play, you go slow. 
and Calgary might get there. The One of the interesting things in the operating budget this week was related to the traffic safety and an automated enforcement line item, and it said that revenue for that line item was lower than anticipated. And I'm quoting here, due to a lower volume of automated enforcement tickets and lower fines revenues due to a positive change in behavior related to speeding. Look at that. You brought it full circle right back to budget. What a great way to end this week's episode of Speaking Municipally. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB Financial. And ATB wants you to know about ATBX. It's an incubator. It's an accelerator. Imagine you're an egg and you're looking for a warm chicken to sit on top of you and help you hatch. ATBX is like that Tesla insane button pressed on the back of the chicken to scoot it right over there, sit on that egg so you can hatch into a warm, vibrant and successful Edmontonian business. You can learn more at atb.com slash atbx. ADBX, like a hen. Please don't remove our sponsorships. <laughs> That's all for Speaking Municipally this week. If you made it past our hammed up ads, good for you. You deserve some credit. There you go. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.